I'm excited that we find ourselves in the gospel according to Matthew this morning, the first appearance in Matthew's version of the life, the good news of Jesus, uh, the first appearance of the adult Jesus, where he's of course baptized by John in the Jordan. And each Sunday between now and Easter, we will continue our journey through Matthew's gospel. And I'm incredibly excited to return to some passage that for some of us, they might be familiar Uh, For many of us, we'll be hearing them for the first time, and I I can't wait. And so this morning, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Hear now God's word for us this day. In those days, John the Baptist, appearing in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. Continue to move among us, holy God, by your grace and mercy. By your presence in our midst, may these words I'm about to offer point back to your word just read and to the word made flesh 
in Jesus the Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Some of you have heard me say before that one of the greatest privileges and one of the greatest delights of being a pastor is getting to officiate at the sacrament of baptism. I can still remember my very first baptism in the spring of the year that I was ordained a minister. At the church in North Carolina where I was serving, it was Confirmation Sunday, and a ninth grader named Laura had not yet been baptized. And so I baptized her that morning with the 15 confirmation students standing in front of the church. She stepped into the center of the group and kneeled. And I led us in the liturgy and in the prayer. And I poured three generous handfuls of water upon her head. One handful for each member of the Trinity. She got soaked. It probably took days for the carpet to dry. And the entire congregation erupted in laughter as they witnessed it. It was not the custom of the other pastors on the staff to be quite so extravagant with the water. You see, I had taken seriously the teaching of John Calvin that in the sacrament of baptism, we should not be stingy in our use of water lest someone witnessing would mistakenly conclude that Almighty God was stingy in the giving of his love and his grace. And I've taken that teaching seriously ever since. I remember a baptism I officiated here in our sanctuary some years ago. It was a little boy, about nine months old, but he was much bigger and stronger than most nine-month-olds. I was holding him as I usually hold babies. He was facing me. I sort of had my one arm around his legs. My other arm, I was balancing his back. And do you know how Olympic divers do those backward dives <laughs> from platforms high above the water? How they sort of throw themselves backwards? Well, that's what he did. It was totally unexpected. It was only by the grace of God that I was able to quickly shift my weight and reach forward and grab him as he attempted that backward dive out of my arms. It was the closest I ever came to dropping a baby mid-baptism. But I kept my grip. I held on tight. And many times since then, I've thought about what a great metaphor that was for the ways that God holds on tight to us and does not let us go, even during unexpected and frightening moments in our lives. Even when we try to escape God's loving hold, God's claim upon us. And I remember my own daughter, Teresa's baptism. She was almost one. It was at the Alexandria Church in Hunterdon County where I served for many years. My dear friend and mentor, Jim Morris, officiated. Jim, who served here as associate pastor for almost 40 years. And that morning, my wife, Emily, got incredibly sick and could not come to church. 
in our two years of dating, followed by the handful of the years that we'd been married at that point, she had not missed a single Sunday of coming to worship, not one, supporting me, being a part of the life of the faith community. But that Sunday, with grandparents who'd flown in from out of town, with others who traveled to be there, she was as sick as a dog and couldn't even get out of bed. I was ready to postpone the big day. I thought that was the best approach. She convinced me to proceed with the plans. I'm slowly learning that wives usually know what is best. And so we did. And I was filled with all kinds of emotions driving to church that morning. Just the two of us, Teresa in her beautiful white gown strapped into the back of my Honda Accord. And when the time came for her baptism and I stood in front of the congregation holding her, I responded to the three vows that parents are asked. To each I answered, on behalf of her mother and I, we do. It was a sacred day I will never forget. And in particular, I will never forget how our extended family and our church family surrounded us that day with their love and with their support and with their faith. And so today's the second Sunday after Christmas. In the Christian year, it's when we remember the day that Jesus was baptized. That sacred day when the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven made that mighty pronouncement, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. It's the day that we remember his baptism and what it signifies about his identity and the character of God. It's the day that we also remember our baptism and what it signifies about our identity. In the Gospel of Matthew, the very first thing Jesus does is become baptized. It happens before he preaches, before he heals, before he teaches or begins his ministry in any way. But as soon as he's baptized, as soon as his identity is celebrated and affirmed, watch out because he's on the move. Our calling is similar. You and I are baptized for action. We are baptized to be reminded who we are and whose we are, and then sent out into the world to be the hands, the voice, the presence of Christ. As Stacy shared with our children this morning, we are called to shine a light on Jesus' presence in our midst. Sometimes we think we are baptized only for our own benefit to mark that we are part of the church family and that we have the blessing and the love of Christ upon us. And that dimension of it is vital. It is life-defining. But we are also baptized for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. We are baptized to make Christ known. We are baptized to embody God's love for a world that is in dire need of it. Jesus' baptism in Matthew's gospel is a dramatic moment. There should be fireworks 
It speaks of the heavens being torn apart, adding to the sense of drama and significance. God has invaded the cosmos. God has done a totally new thing. God has become present to us in a fundamentally new and different kind of way. Every story that will follow in Matthew's gospel is a story of God's dramatic and explosive intrusion into our world. Every story that follows is a story of God's unexpected and overflowing grace. One theologian put it this way, in Jesus, we have a boundary crossing God. God will not be contained by walls or dividing lines or categories of any sort. God overcomes social boundaries, political boundaries, religious boundaries, ethnic boundaries, all sorts of boundaries. And God calls us to do the same in being the church. And that belief informs how we understand our own baptism, the person that we see when we look in the mirror. Baptism is the promise that there's nothing we can put in place which will separate us from being God's child. No decision we can make, no wall we can build, no mistake we can make that will separate us from God's unwavering love. The theologian Karl Barth proposed that God's claiming of Jesus in this story summarizes the essence of the entire gospel. The astonishing claim that God does not will to remain hidden in the heights of heaven, but descends to the depths of earthly life in order to be seen and heard by us finite creatures. And so friends, what does God's intrusiveness into our lives mean for us? What difference might it make in 2023? How will it impact the choices you make, the places you show up, the people you decide to love and to serve? In some traditions, you receive a lit candle on the day of your baptism as a tangible reminder that you are called by God to be a light, a light of God's mercy and justice and love. The candle is given to you by a member of the congregation, symbolizing that the members of the church are engaged together in this calling of being bearers of light. It's not a solo venture or independent effort. We are in it, all of us, together. How might you be called to walk a different path or live a different life? How might you view yourself differently? How might you be called to extend grace and mercy or be a bearer of hope because of being grafted into Christ in the moment of your baptism and because of the truth which that event celebrated about your identity and your purpose? Jesus' baptism changed heaven. The text tells us that the heavens were torn apart in the moment of his baptism, never to be quite the same again. Our baptism changes us in a way that is just as dramatic and far-reaching and complete. Never to be the same. Will we 
live into that truth? Will we live into that wondrous reality? In our baptism, we renounce sin and the forces of evil in the world and within our own lives. We embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. We commit to living as his faithful disciples and as beacons of his love. We commit to being engaged in the life and work of the church, the body of Christ. For those of us baptized as infants, our parents and others made those promises for us that we might one day, perhaps as a teenager or an adult, confirm them for ourselves. The New Testament scholar J. Christian Becker once said that all sin is basically forgetfulness. It didn't make much sense to me when I first heard that, but then I really thought about it, and he's right. All sin can probably be traced back to forgetting who we are. We forget that God's image dwells within us, and so we sin. We forget that we are immersed in God, and so we sin. We abandon the idea that God's love for us is perfect and complete. We do it again and again along the way, and we sin. Sometimes we reject outright that we are loved by God and marked by Christ. Other times our forgetfulness happens bit by bit. We reject that the image of God is even there, and we sin. And because we all have poor memories, we all need help remembering that God's image does dwell within us, and we are precious, and we are loved, we are God's. This past week, I sent an email out to the congregation with a request. I hope you received it. The request was to share a baptism photo with me as a way to remember. Remember the promises made, the grace of God experienced, the faith of others that we were surrounded by, to remember who we are. And I was thrilled with the response. And I invite us now, together, to remember. And so what will we do this day and this year to live out our baptism? What will you do? What will you do to assure that you won't forget? Forget the ultimate truth of who you are, a chosen and loved child of God. Someone who said no to the ways of sin and evil, someone who said yes to the ways of Christ and living as his disciple. How will you proclaim through word and deed that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in your baptism and marked as Christ's own forever? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.